I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have an amazing episode. I am truly so excited. We have a guest that's a real hero of mine, Doug Ellen. You know him as the creator, writer, producer of Entourage. He's also directed other things like Fat Beach, Kissing a Fool, and he's got a new show that's upcoming. Doug has been a real hero of mine. Entourage changed my life, as I'm sure it might have yours as well. And it really got me on my journey. And I don't think I would be sane without it. Some of my darkest days, I rewatch it and it fills me with inspiration. And I'm so grateful. I love you, Doug. Doug Allen, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing, brother? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. I, I, I say this with the utmost sincerity. You're a real hero of mine, what you've been able to do. You know, I, I actually really do enjoy Kissing a Fool. It's a great classic <laughs> film. You also got, like, Judy Greer, Jason Lee, and, I mean, I, I think David Schwimmer probably had friends at that time, right? But, you know. I mean, listen, not to, I mean, not to toot my horn, I, I think I discovered Judy. Uh, I yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> I think that was her first job. I mean, and uh, it's funny because I, you know, there's people who you see, and I've been fortunate enough in my life. David Schwimmer was one of my closest friends. He auditioned for my first short film when I didn't know who he was. A friend of mine brought him to my apartment. Yeah. He walked in and he did like one line from this short film I was doing. And I was like, that's it. You got it. And I, I swear, I told everyone I knew, I'm like, this guy's going to be a huge star. This is way before Friends. Yeah. Judy Greer was the same thing. She came in and it was like, done, you know? Yeah, and she was great in that role. Yeah, I mean, she's just great in everything. And there's some, you know, there's those people where you're lucky enough to stumble upon. And um, Who's the actress uh, who plays Sarah? You're going to have to tell me even what the character, I swear to God, I haven't seen the movie in. The, the 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 one that Jason Lee and and David Neil Schwimmer that Neil are doing the, like okay. the main, yeah the main yeah. woman yeah, yeah. Mealy Avital is an Israeli actor and uh, she's great and yeah. um, great, great, great bartender performance I mean <laughs> if I may say 
You know, it's interesting. I like that movie. And, you know, I, I've talked about it on, on our podcast. That movie was a million-dollar movie that was made independently, shot in 24 or 25 days in Chicago. Universal Studios picked it up and released it on 2,200 screens, which wow. was was ridiculous. It was a m way too big a release. And, you know, I went from, it was really bizarre because before the movie was released, I was like the hot guy in comedy. Everybody saw it, loved it. A bunch of studios wanted to buy it. And then it came out and it was released as if it was a studio film, not a, right. a million and a half, $2 million movie. And it didn't make a lot of money. I mean, I was pretty happy with it. It made more yeah. than it cost. And uh, I was... Uh, Un unemployable i mean went from like having a nice little life to like you cannot work it was wow. literally that ridiculous so that's insane and the yeah and the bartending role i played which uh which bonnie hunt she she said as she thought i was funny she asked me to do it it didn't lead to any work <laughs> didn't lead to any work so well man i gotta say you know i'm i'm four years sober but what you did with entourage i know on Victory, the podcast, shout out to your wonderful podcast. Thanks. You can be a little self-deprecating about how you're not David Chase or David Simon, but I would argue what you do is just as important, if not more important, because, you know, I'm an actor and, you know, I struggled with my sobriety for a long time and, and Entourage was always really a buoy and an anchor for me. And even no matter how dark the drugging or the drinking got, that, that would just kind of set me back on course and make me not feel so bad and just kind of give me an, an escape and realize that dreams are worth pursuing. And if it weren't for you, man, I, I really don't think I'd be sober and, and I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing. So I owe you a lot and I have the utmost respect for you. And well, thank it, you. I, I appreciate it. And listen, I, I am, um, you know, it's not that I diminish what I, what I've done and I worked extremely hard at it. But I, I listen, I'm smart enough to understand what the differences and complexities of something like The Wire and The yeah. Sopranos. But at the same time, you know, what Entourage was to me was was much more about friendship than Hollywood. And obviously Hollywood was a big part of it. But, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people related to that because it is the, the you know, people would always say is Entourage realistic. And the most non-realistic thing about it is, is that men as they as they age, stay that close yeah. because it's almost impossible. And, you know, I have a group of best friends from childhood that a lot of the characters had, had elements of, but uh, we still have a text chain that goes every day we talk and there's like 14 people on it, but still we can't live in a house together. Yeah, <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> you know, so, you know, that was the thing, not whatever, but I still, I, I don't diminish what we did. I just, you know, there's times when I watch things, Whatever they are, really, the great shows, the the Wire, the Sopranos, Mad Men, yeah. and of course, I'm I'm awed by that. You know, now um, I always like to tell people when James Cameron was on Entourage, and he was writing Avatar in the trailer, <laughs> yeah. and he came out, and I still to this day, I'm not sure if he was making fun of me or not, but he was reading the Entourage script. He's like, "How do you?" you write this, everyone, it's like, it's just how people speak. And I'm writing these blue guys and things. And, uh, so, but, blue man but, group. yeah, but still, if I was to sit down and try to write something like Terminator, which I think is just a, like a genius script, I just, yeah. it's not, not in my wheelhouse. So, you know, we do what we do and we hope for the best, you know? Yeah. Well, let's start from the beginning. You grew up on Long Island, right? I grew up on Long Island, Merrick. 
Oh, yeah. I love all my friends. I went to NYU, so all my friends were from Merrick. Nice. Um, in fact, my friend just won an Emmy from uh, editing The Last Dance. So shout out Devin Kincannon. From uh, Merrick? Yeah, from Merrick. Oh, nice. Yeah. I went to Kennedy High School. I went to Kennedy High School. But, okay. Um, Been there many a times, man. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So talk to me. Were you... Were your parents artists at all? Like, how did no. this? <laughs> no, I mean, my family has nothing to do with this. I honestly didn't know a single person in Hollywood when I got to LA. Um, I, I what, just... what ignited the bug then? You know, because I imagine, you know, in high school, you you must have been some inclination leaning towards the arts. I mean. Not really, you know, I, um, <laughs> you know, I always, I loved movies and yeah. I was that, you know, like a lot of kids watching the same movies a hundred times and, you know, having actors who were my favorites and comedians that I grew up idolizing. And it was always something like I thought I wanted to do, but I really didn't do anything to pursue it. And, uh, I went to college at Tulane in New Orleans and I was kind oh, of awesome. going through life and, um, was heading to law school, and as school was was getting to the end, I was like, I I can't, yeah, I can't do this. I mean, number one, I'm not sure I could have made it through law school. Number two, I didn't get into any of the good ones, so um, I moved to LA. My parents were completely shocked; didn't understand what I was doing. Oh man! Um, and I started doing stand up comedy at amateur nights. And, wow. Uh, like the store or what's that place in the valley? Uh, yeah, I mean, the ha ha, you know? It's funny. My girlfriend's at the ha ha room all the time. I didn't know that one, but Igby's Ice House, the improv, the comedy store. And, uh, you know, I, I was doing that. And I, 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 to be honest, I think that was my actual calling, but I was too fucking lazy. And I hated the whole lifestyle of being in comedy clubs till two o'clock in the morning. And I was, I was drinking too much because I yeah. just, it wasn't my thing. So, um, you got to have a glutton for punishment if you're going to be a comedian, you know, cause it, those audiences can be so fickle. Yeah. But I don't even mean that, which of course, but yeah. just the idea of being in the club with 50 other comedians waiting for your shot. Yeah, killing time. It's just, you know, it's, it's a tough lifestyle. And I admire those guys who, 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 a, kept going, but B, who made it. I mean, it's such a great art form. But um, I was working in the mailroom at New Line Cinema, and, you know, I did stand-up comedy, and one day somebody came up and said I was great and should go for an audition, and I went for the audition, which was a complete shit show, and I was certainly <laughs> not the guy. And um, I went back home, and I said, I'm going to make a short film, and I really never did stand-up again. I made this short film. That actually, uh, I got David Schwimmer in, um, which was, you know, pretty friends. And I got some other great actors, Johnny Silverman and Ernie Hudson and Helen Martin. And we ended up selling it to Showtime. Wow. Um, which is pretty rare for a short film. And then uh, I went to the American Film Institute for a year. Wow. Uh, what did you study, yeah. writing or? Directing. Directing. Yeah. AFI's, I mean, Darren Aronofsky, I mean, it, it's produced some of the fine. It's a very hard school to get into. Yeah, Darren was my buddy in my class, actually, which, you know, he'll be horrified to even even discuss this. But, you know, a little unknown fact I talked about on Victory, the podcast, but Darren Aronofsky was the second unit director for a day on Fat Beach. No you know? way! So, yeah. so, so <laughs> Darren, Darren was my boy at AFI, and, um, you know, uh, 
it was clear, you know, his enormous talent right from the start. But yeah. uh, and we had some other great people in that class too. Scott Silver, um, who wrote The Joker and Eight Mile. And, yeah, uh, yeah, he's partners with my friend John Polono. Oh, nice. And yeah. Mark Waters and, and and a bunch of other people and some cinematographers who worked on Entourage and things. So um, I went there for a year. I came out. I made another short film, which Schwimmer was also in, and John Cryer and. Uh, I put myself in as well, which again did nothing for my acting career, which was kind of my hope. When I, I actually think you've got a great speaking voice, man. You should really consider acting more. You know, and it's it's nice that you say that, but I'll tell you, like my whole childhood, people said I should do a radio show, and then when I was doing Entourage, Jeff Garland said, "Why don't we do a radio show together?" And I, I'm such a self-hating Jew, I always hated the sound of my voice. And uh, when I started doing the podcast. It really, at 52 years old, I was like, fuck, why wasn't I doing this? I, I know, dude, I love your voice. I mean, like, Kevin Dillon's got a great one, so does Connolly, but, dude, you're so distinct, and you would just kill it on stage. Well, You'd well, be a great – I'll have to write a play for you. You know, I got to be honest, I, I appreciate that. There's part of me that, like, looks at Larry David, who's, you know, clearly one of my idols, and goes, God, because that's what I want to do. I wanted to be Seinfeld when I was yeah. growing up. Eddie Murphy, this and that, and I think – you know, for everyone out there, for you, you, you actors, I mean, it is, I mean, it's bad enough when you're writing, but at least you write a script, you take four months before you get the daily rejection yeah. that an actor gets. And I think that, I'm not saying I would have been good, by the way, because I, I really don't know that I would have been a good actor, but um, it's, it's something that I wanted to do a lot when I yeah. was growing up and uh, I really never pursued it. And it is kind of. Uh, like stand-up, where, where stand-up, you have to overcome that yeah. fear of the audience. You really do, as an actor, it's that audition process that's so demeaning and horrible, and if yeah. you can get through to that point where you're not really reacting to what they're thinking and you're just doing your job, that's, I think, the key. But Yeah, yeah, it really is, man. It's taken me, I'm 30 years old, it's taken me 30 years to finally just, I call it boomerang it, throw it away, and if it comes back, cool, you know? But yeah. um, so then when you do these two films and they're obviously successful, you know, I imagine at that point, you know, maybe a studio or, or you know, someone at a boutique one was interested in hiring you as a writer or. Well, what? I mean, I, I mean, there's some interesting stuff that happened to me that that didn't go forward. But when I so I made this little short film called The Pitch and uh, it was, you know, like I said, Schwimmer, Ernie Hudson, Johnny Silverman, it's on it's online and, you know, it's. A one camera angle, and I was working in the in the mail room at New Line Cinema, and I've never been on a film set ever. So I put this together and used my credit cards, and and Mike DeLuca, who was VP of New Line at the time, gave me money after seeing me do stand up. I make this little short film, and a producer sees it. This is before I went to AFI, and he's like, "You're like a genius. You got to direct this movie I got." So he had this movie, I, as, I think it was The Parent Trap, and where this movie was, was at New Line Cinema. Uh -huh. So within 16 weeks of, of being the mailroom guy at New Line Cinema and having Mike DeLuca, the VP, give me money out of his own pocket for this short film, I'm going back into the offices at New Line attached as being the director of a $20, wow. $30 million movie. Now, I literally had no fucking clue what I was doing. And if I did it over now, I would, I would have read some stuff and made up some stuff. But I didn't even really understand all of the things that a director did. So yeah. I walked into this meeting 
with like five executives. And, and I'm not, I, I mean, I can't exaggerate this enough. I was pushing the mail cart around three months earlier. Yeah. Now I'm walking in with a big producer and going, hey, I want to direct the movie. And they're asking me, so what's your vision? What's your this? Which is like, I didn't fucking know. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to make it funny. And, yeah. and Mike DeLuca again was like, afterwards he sat me down and said, I think you got talent. I think you should go to film school um, and really study this. So that's what I did. And I went to film school for a year. Was, I that, was that worth it? Do you think, do you think that was the right move? I think, uh, I think there were, I met some great people there yeah. and um, it, it helped me solidify to understand being on a set and what that stuff was like. Again, I really had never done it. I wasn't a PA. I, I, I wasn't anything. So when I came out, I made another short film, which I definitely felt a lot more confident that I kind of understood what I was doing. Yeah. And then that short, and then that short film um, led to this movie called Fat Beach, which um, amazing. You know, I'm like 22 years old. A guy calls me up, and and you got to really understand in 1992 when this happens, the word PHAT is not a common word in. Um, the in the human culture. vernacular at all. It, it really yeah. is, and, it, yeah. and it's and it's certainly not in my circles, you know. So yeah. when he called me up, he's like, "I saw your short film. I want to do this movie, Fat Beach." I was like, "Fat bitch!" Like, what are you saying? He's like, no, <laughs> "It's it's P H A T." And again, similar to other things I've done, we did this movie in like we shot for seven days. They ran out of money. It was down for seven months, and then a studio came in and said. We'll give you a couple of bucks to finish it. The whole movie was shot in like 12 or 13 days. Wow. And all of a sudden, live entertainment says they're going to release it on 400 screens, which I thought was, I mean, I'm proud of the movie because I was 22 and had no idea what I was yeah. doing and had no money. But, you know, this movie should have never been in a movie theater, you know? <laughs> and still, it's playing now. It's been on Showtime for 20 what are we at 30 years already and like no way that's yeah, complex, amazing and complex magazine did like a retrospective of it and you know chris rock used to make fun of it in his in his stand-up act and again i didn't take it personally because it wasn't my idea yeah I came in, I, I it wasn't your thing. world at all you know yeah, it, wasn't, yeah. it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't my baby but you know uh, still lots of connections that would later come in as i said darren uh, you know Darren, uh, I got him a little shot to shoot some stuff before he went and made pie and, and other things like that. And Scott Venner, who became uh, my music guy on Entourage, I put in because he, he, he thought he was an actor at the time. So I put him in. <laughs> that That's awesome. And, you know, we, we played around the world and it made the movies gross. Like, I think it's made like 11 million bucks. And I, wow. I made. I made fifteen grand and uh, non-union, so I never got another dollar off. No <laughs> way! Oh man, we got to get you some back end all going forward. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine after that you had a lot of momentum. Was kissing a fool already existing in your mind at that point? You or? know, there really wasn't any momentum. It's it's weird. You know, I got lots of meetings, and to be honest, after Fat Beach, I got a lot of meetings and got a lot of meetings on, on African-American movies. I met with Ice Cube on Friday. Like Friday, yeah, I could totally yeah, that, see you. Yeah. And, and, people, and people, when I was getting to meetings, they honestly, they thought I was black when I was getting there <laughs> on the movie. But um, I was always kind of at my own pace, and I don't think I was ever meant to direct other people's stuff. So I kind of kept going the way I was, and Kissing a Fool came about, which was... Um, 
was a script by this guy, James Fry. And it was uh, a pretty incredible story. He had written that book, A Million Little Pieces. I don't know if you yeah, remember. Yeah, of course. Story, but, yeah. So, uh, you know, Oprah put it on her book club list. Then it turned out it was fake, whatever. But anyway, I, uh, my manager who represented Mark Wahlberg, which is a classic kind of entourage. Steve Levinson? Steve Levinson, who I went to Tulane with. Classic kind of entourage moment, but they offered Mark this movie, Kissing a Fool. And Steve was his manager, and they and Steve said, you know, if uh, Mark loves Doug Allen, if he writes and directs it, maybe Mark will do it. Mark was never doing it, but <laughs> yeah. we kind of bait and switched him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went in and I kind of rewrote that script, and then I got David and Jason Lee and Bonnie Hunt. And yeah, Judy Greer, you know. Judy, first, Judy yeah. Greer, Vanessa Angel, who would later be on Entourage. And um, so... Oh, that's and we, right. And, She's and, Natasha. I didn't even realize. Yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. And as I said, you know, we made this movie for very little money. Universal picked it up, and I thought my career was really on the way, and uh, was getting offers to do all sorts of studio movies. And like the asshole I was, I was like, Nah, I want to write my own thing and do my own thing. And yeah, the only thing, the only thing I did sign on to do was the Heartbreak Kid with uh, Schwimmer. Wow. And, then the movie, then Kissing a Fool opened, and that was over. <laughs> they paid me off to not do that, and yeah. I, I honestly could not get a job. It was like, uh, it was like worse than when I first walked into Hollywood. I, it was almost like I was a pariah, and that's that's how it goes. It really is that that simple, you know. How did you boo yourself during that time? What were you doing to to not, you know, cave to despair and and to keep to, to keep in the business? To be honest with you, I was literally, and this is just so for context, I had sold five or six scripts, made a couple of movies, bought myself a, you know, $800,000 house. So I'm living. I'm oh, happy. so you were okay. Well, we, I thought I was on my way. So I was yeah. doing things that like, yeah, I'm fine. But um, I got kids on the way and things are happening. And uh, all of a sudden I can't work. So I started studying for the LSATs. I mean, I was like, I'm going back to law school. So this is after I'd made two movies that have played around the world, wow. sold five or six scripts. And I'm like, my career is over. And uh, I had uh, went around and pitched some couple of TV shows, which I'd never done anything in TV. And I did one with this uh, producer named Dylan Sellers. And after we didn't sell something like the CW or something, I was like, I can't fucking believe this with all the shit that I see on TV, which now TV, TV today has got so much great stuff, but then there was so much crap on every channel. So yeah. he said to me, uh, which is wild that, that Curb Your Enthusiasm is still running, but Dylan was like, you got to get into TV, go work on another show, which I'd never worked for anybody except for myself. So I, I said, how do I do that? And, um, he said, you need a script, like write a script for your favorite show. So I wrote a Curb script in like one night. Amazing. And I sent it to, to Steve Levinson, my manager, who had forgotten, who's my friend also, had pretty much forgotten I even work in the business. <laughs> after the movie. And uh, he read it and was like, you know, Mark and I are talking about this, this show idea about Mark. I don't know why we didn't think about you. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, oh, that's nice, whatever. So anyway, they told me the idea of Entourage, which I said sounds horrible, which is my, my normal reaction. To <laughs> yeah, of but I was like, no, who wants to watch a bunch of fucking guys live off another guy or whatever? <laughs> yeah, mooches. And, and Steve, which was, to, to Steve's credit, which is the same thing he said on Kissing a Fool, because I didn't like that script either. He said, you'll figure it out. And I, I went home and I kind of started thinking about it. And, you know, within weeks we were in HBO pitching it, which, you know, 
2001 HBO is is the the kingdom. Like yeah, Sex in the City, The Sopranos. I think first season of The Wire, right? You know, I don't know Oz. Oz you know, yeah, yeah. Tom, but, Tom Fontana's a friend. But I mean, there's there's no other game in town. There's no stars. There's no Netflix. There's no yeah. Amazon. No one was doing that kind of risque content. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. so and and it was pretty much there or bust. And when we sold it. Again, it was one of those moments where, wow, I made it. And then you realize, like, okay, they'll give you $50,000. You'll spend two years being tortured. And finally, after two years, they finally gave us the green light. And that's that's where it went. So Wow. And, and originally, you know, because I know you've spoken about this on Victory, the show at first had a different tone because you were trying to kind of replicate Wahlberg's crew, which is yeah. a bit tougher, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, um, you know, there was a point, Chris Albrecht, who really is responsible for this show actually getting on and happening, you know, he, he, he read the first script and was like, you know, look, how I grew up was kind of like that Wahlberg crew. It was kind of, I, I kind of grew up where Goodfellas took place and I had a mobster over here and this over there. And, and I just remember, he was like, we're not doing The Sopranos in Hollywood. This is like, yeah. you know, it's got to be. <laughs> That's such a good be, way of putting it. Yeah, it's got to be fun. It's got to yeah. be this. So um, we worked on that. And even though <clears throat> there were a lot of similarities with the first script to what ultimately it, be, it became, we definitely pushed it in a much more, uh, as opposed to me, who'd now been in the business for 10 years writing the the jaded Hollywood version of how much I hate everybody. Yeah. It became the wish fulfillment of best friends really being able to, to share in, in fantasy land, you know? Yeah. And it's what we love about it. And hey guys, quick break from the show. I wanted to tell you about a new coffee shop in Williamsburg, copper mug coffee. It's a multi roaster third wave coffee shop in Williamsburg at Bedford Avenue. It's operated by an individual owner and it has a big backyard patio with plenty of self half covered for rain and tabletop heaters. They are open through the most difficult times and they're working really hard to build it up and I'm so excited to partner with them here. They have freshly baked pastries and they also collaborate with local artists and rotate the artist's artworks and sell the art on the wall. We're all here to support each other. Make sure to check them out. Copper Mug Coffee. Thank you so much. Talk to me about casting because, you know, it's so rare, Doug, that a show catches on. You know, one of the things that's a reoccurring theme on this podcast is the separation between being good at what you do and great at what you do. And you're great because what you did is going to live forever. It's immortal. And that's really what being great is, a shot at immortality. And, you know, you created something that's that's helped and made so many people laugh and inspired and you know i'm sure i'm sure i'm not the only actor that was inspired by your show so talk to me about when you when you discovered everyone and uh, did you know what you had or was it kind of no i mean you know i i knew you know um i wrote jeremy piven in my first outline which is so weird to me when i think about it now um I was, a, Larry Sanders was, uh, you know, a huge influence on me. And uh, I love, even though Jeremy had done a lot of work, I love Jeremy from Larry Sanders. And I thought yeah. he could play, I thought he could play my agent, who was a guy named Jeff Jacobs. And by the time we sold the show, I had met the real Ari Emanuel. And yeah. I was like, this guy's the character. But I had written Jeremy Piven playing Jeff Jacobs. And oh, then, wow. um, and then 
um, when I met Ari, I was like, okay, this is the character. And then when I actually finally met Jeremy, Jeremy had transformed himself into a like really good shape and like a whole different thing. And it kind of looked like Ari. So it kind of came together. And I remember the one thing I really felt was like, was I told Jeremy this because Jeremy didn't know what the show was and really who the other actor was. I said, Jeremy, I don't know if this is going to work. I, I just know I know how to write for you. And I don't really know why, yeah. but um, that I kind of felt would work. But um, putting the four guys together was, uh, was a lot of work. And, and it was very important to me that they were authentic New Yorkers. And, you know, Wahlberg was great enough to let me make it kind of my thing, which was yeah. I needed I needed it to be New York, which is a big difference from Boston. And I needed to find guys that kind of reminded me of the guys I grew up with. So, um, and still though, that being said, I was trying to find a Mark Wahlberg guy for Vince. And yeah. that, that was impossible. I mean, um, Adrian, it turns out was actually the perfect thing. Cause I think, I think a more alpha male like Mark might not have, you might not have really understood why these guys were around. And I think yeah. it, it all just came together, but Adrian was definitely not the, the guy I was looking for. And um, it's interesting when that happens because you like to feel like you really know it. And when you see it and like, you know, for instance, I mean, the other guys, Kevin Dillon, like walked in, it was like game over. Yeah. And Kevin Connolly, same thing. And Jerry, besides the fact that Jerry was, almost 10 years younger than Kevin Dillon, which it's funny. Like, nobody ever even noticed that, you know what I mean? It wasn't ever a thing. It's, you so, know? it's so weird to me, but yeah, I mean, we put lines in about it, but nobody cared, but Adrian was the one that was really tricky to, to find. And, you know, there was something about him, which, you know, I say this to actors all the time when they're talking about roles, we saw a lot of great actors for that role that are going to have great careers. Yeah. They just didn't feel like a movie star like Adrian right. did. The totally. second the guy came on the screen, it just felt like, why haven't I seen this guy? He looks like yeah. a movie star. And not just his looks, he just carries himself in a way that's very intangible. And I think that's the thing for actors, you know, as you know, when you audition so often, it has nothing to do with your performance or this At and all. that. It's what they're looking for. So. Yeah. Um, but it came together, but it took a long time. I think it was like eight month casting process, you know? Wow. That's amazing. And, and once you had that core cast, you know, I mean, more so the, the four Jeremy, obviously, you know, he's kind of on his own in the show, but comes in, you know, was it important to you that all those actors had chemistry together? You know, cause that's what it feels like you buy the friendship and, and the history there, you know, yeah, and, and that's, that, that's the absolute key. And I can't, you know, I can't explain it, but the first time I put those four guys together, it just felt right. And, yeah. you know, I kind of, you know, which sometimes works. And I talk about this too on the podcast too, whether the creator, director, whatever should be friends with the actors and what kind of things that, that causes complications. But yeah. it did feel like they were part of my crew from minute one. They just felt like I grew up with them, even though they were, they were not Dylan, but the rest of them were significantly younger than me, but it just felt like they were right. And they were guys from the place that I knew. And we all had a shorthand that really worked. And Jeremy, I mean, obviously, you, you know, Jeremy needs to have chemistry with them, but Jeremy's character was kind of the, um, educated, sophisticated, you know, Chicago guy. So it just, it all, it all fortunately really worked. Yeah, it really did. And, and, you know, obviously I know season one, 
you guys didn't know yet whether this thing was going to get a season two even. But by season two, you must have known. I mean, because like I remember when it came on and it, it was the biggest thing in the world. You know, it really was like, you know, The Wire was bigger after the fact when video on demand became a thing. Yeah. The entourage, like after the first season, I feel like it was just like Sunday night. You were glued to that screen. You know, did did you know by season two that this thing you was going to go the distance? Or, or I'm, I'm such a neurotic fucking Jew that I never took the time to feel like, you know, I, I mean, I was actually talking to Conley about it the other day, but I mean, when we were, we were shooting season two in Las Vegas, the ratings just came out season. I, I don't know. Season one was airing, I guess. And TiVo had really just taken off. And yeah, and it was like, so they wrote an article like sex in the city was doing X and entourage was doing Y. And it just looked like so bad. And as you know, I think lots of people were getting together in groups and watching entourage. Oh yeah. Things and whatever it was. But so I was in Vegas going, I can't fucking believe it. I mean, it feels like a movie because when I tell you what, what happens, but it's, like, I'm sitting in Las Vegas thinking the show's getting canceled. We're working. We're shooting the Vegas episode and whatever that was. And um, Chris Albrecht, again, president of HBO, calls up. And and he, I'm like, so, our, you know, what's the deal? Are you pulling the plug? And he's like, yeah. He was like, what are you talking about? You got to hit. We're going to go as long as you want, which, again, those words mean nothing to me. I don't believe a fucking word anybody yeah, says. Totally. But yeah. it was better. But then I walked out to the pool, and Jerry came out, and all these fucking meatheads from new york and new jersey started screaming turtle turtle and and honestly it's the first time i realized that there was this audience watching it and then you know i mean it's actually really weird because i i honestly feel like the same thing is happening with the podcast right now oh yeah i I used to be sitting in a restaurant and i hear people talking about entourage and now i'm like hearing little buzzes about the podcast and kevin Connolly calls me up the other day goes I'm walking down the street. Someone like drives by and screams, "Hey, man! I love the podcast." <laughs> you know, oh, and, yeah, the podcast has been so needed for so long, and we'll talk about the you know reboot revival at the end. But then talk to me about crafting each season and the story arc. Did you you know when you had season two and you got that call from Chris Albrecht? Did you start to kind of formulate you know I don't want to say in in total you know perfection but an idea of where the show was gonna go no i mean i i honestly uh which is why i always compare my not compare myself not favorably to, to david chase david simon like i i would make it up as i go along i'd have the writers that we were with we'd just talk and and sometimes i would just write what comes out of my head box myself into corners it was very stressful and exhausting and um um, not how I recommend doing it, you know, yeah. so was really never a beginning, middle and end crafted for any of the seasons. Every year when we used to get to the ending, I used to think, okay, that's the last episode. There's no way I'm going to be able to top this. And we had a good run and this and that. So, um, cause your season three was 24 episodes. I mean, that's yeah, well, I mean it's tragic that I couldn't do more, but I remember, you know, Chris was like, I'm giving you a shot. You go on after the Sopranos, we need more episodes. So. That was, again, there's lots of people who can do 30 episodes of television a year. I'm not one of them. And it yeah. was a, it was extremely, extremely difficult. And uh, 
Uh, obviously, I wish we could have done 30 a year every year. So we had 200 episodes now instead of 96. But um, for me, it was it was a grind. And I was never a person who really plotted out um, what the whole plan was and kind of winged it. And, you know, the show, as you notice, because I'm a little myopic and obsessive, was very like small timelines. It would be like like a whole season would be a week. Because yeah. I, I just used to go, okay, how did that episode end? What would happen next in life? Yeah. Hopefully that gave it a, a kind of real feeling. It I did. I think that's why it caught on so well. You know, yeah, he, so. It, it, it was like this occurring event and you had to know, you know, because now we have Netflix and you get a whole season at once. You know, there's something I think that is kind of lost in that week by week viewing experience because the narrative like the the dialogue continues for so yeah. long. It, it's yeah. such an event. Yeah, and I, it's interesting for sure. I mean, I, I, I like it. I like to binge. I like to binge, you know, me too, you know, uh, but I it can't is. stand anymore when there's a show now, like, you know, whatever, you know, when undoing was on, I'm like, I got to wait. Like, well, I know that's amazing, man. So talk to me, you know, as this thing got to be, you know, by season three, you're going, did, was it fun for you having the cameos or was that tough? Like writing, I'm sure you were getting no shortage of phone calls of people yeah. being like, I got to be in this thing. Great. Cameos were great. Everything about production was always great. We had such an amazing crew and, and it just was a fun time. The writing process was always the torture. So if the scripts were done, life was fun. If the scripts weren't done, it wasn't fun. So, um, by season like five or six, I think we were getting scripts done before we actually went into production, which was most oh, amazing. Bad. She weren't yeah. writing, you know, writing, casting, yeah. shooting, you know, that, that was tricky. Wow, man. And how did you keep, you know, like, you know, this kind of being shot out of a cannon can really drive someone crazy. How did you, how did you anchor yourself and handle the show on your own? You know, I mean, it's so I mean, tough I, to, you know, I don't want to say it was on my own. I had great people around me, but I, I'm not sure I anchored myself. I, I was going crazy for sure. I mean, every year I was like, you know what? That's enough. And again, I don't want to make it sound like this is some horrific job I had, but you know, running a show is a grind and um, you really got to, in my opinion, you got to really commit, you know, pretty much 24 seven. My life would be, you know, I'm in the shower thinking about what these guys could be doing and, you know, yeah. And, you know, as, as people know, some people criticize the show. Oh, it got repetitive. There's nothing harder than to try to figure out new stories for these people and why they're still living together and why they're still doing this, you know? So it was, it was tough. It's funny too, because I know you talk about this on the podcast that, you know, as we've kind of entered this crazy virtue signaling PC time that some people have a revisionist history of entourage, but some of the staunchest feminists I know are the biggest fans of that show, you well, know? That's and, nice. I appreciate that. And now looking back at it, honestly, there's some dialogue, but it's, it's really, it's, it's embarrassing. The, the PC bullshit that is, yeah, you know, it. it's art, man. Art, art shouldn't be safe. Yeah. You know? The worst thing is when you see other artists who criticize it. I mean, like, I know I, I, I heard about that Mindy Kaling thing. That really, yeah, I mean, I don't, know yeah. who the fuck she, I don't know who the fuck she thinks she is, but I mean, we were, you know, we were nominated for an Emmy and a Writers Guild Award every single year. So yeah. to come back now because, you know, you're riding on your high horse, you know, this business, as you know, as an actor, it really is a long haul. And the ups and downs, and, you know, I talked about this on the podcast, but I don't know if you saw the Bee Gees documentary, but... I've heard, you know, my dad just watched it. I've heard it's great. 
it's phenomenal, but it, it almost felt like a little bit like that with Entourage. Entourage was this darling critically and commercially, and then all of a sudden there was this backlash against it, which um, I do feel the tide is turning now, and I think with anything, there's often overcorrections, and then people come back to hopefully a better place. And listen, I, I'm all for pe- people talking kinder and doing all this shit, but there's nothing that's more irritating to me than, and I love The Sopranos, it's genius, but the fact that Tony can fucking kill his son's friend's father, and that's okay. Or kill, <laughs> kill Vito because he's gay. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean <laughs> but that, that, that's okay because David's a better writer than I am. But I mean, Entourage, they were never abusive to people. They were friends. They were talking shit. Yeah. And, um, you know, to me, there's not been a lot of shows that I know of that show loyalty and friendship like that show did. So um, I, I don't I don't spend a lot of time on the PC nonsense. I mean, we talk about it on the podcast only because people keep bringing it up. But Yeah, I see in your Twitter feed. There's some real fucking animals out there. So oh, fuck, yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, literally, fuck them. Dude. But I believe if I believe if you didn't get that show, you you never had a group of friends. I or really you, do. Like, you just don't know what it's like to dream. You know yeah. what I mean? Even if you're not dreaming in Hollywood, it's really a story of a, a group of friends that are going to help their friend pursue a dream. And that's one of the most beautiful things you could wish from a yeah. friend. You and know? it's so funny. You know, just like, you know, the greatest TV shows of all time. It's like sometimes people would talk about, you know, oh, repetitiveness of entourage. It all works out. I don't even know what the fuck that means. It's not it's not a show where they were supposed to die. You know? well, and then people gave you shit for season seven, right? Because like, oh, yeah. because like Vince and Sasha went dark and then then yeah. people didn't people backlash against that, you know? I a love that of, season. A lot of people hated that. Look, a lot of people hated, you know, Dominic Lombardozzi, my boy, when he was on. They thought that that was like based on me having one of my lunatics from home come out. I yeah. thought Dom was genius and people were like, What the hell is this? Because the real core wanted to see them succeed. I wanted to see life go well. And, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Again, I feel like the tide is turning. I feel like people are starting to refine the show again. Younger audiences are finding it. And people are, are going, you know what? I, 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 I get it. Ari, he's got a big mouth, but he's not a bad guy. And, you know, again, could the show be done today? Obviously, it could be done today. But nobody could speak like that in an office in 2020 in America. You just, your career would be over, you know? So, there would be different ways that, that Ari would have to operate, you know? Well, I also think you wrote some really powerful female, like Carla Gugino's Amanda, you know, Perry Reeves, you know, uh, uh, there's been so many, man. And I'm, I'm curious, now that you, this victory, the podcast has taken off, you know, Entourage movie happens, you know, which, you know, I, I saw it, I liked it, you know, but I guess it did get seen by enough people. Is that what yeah. happened? Yeah. I mean, the truth is, is I never wanted to do a movie. Um, we should have continued on and done more seasons. So um, was season eight not your idea to end? That was HBO's idea? That was take. HBO's, yeah, 100%. That's, yeah. that's a real bummer. Yeah. Which um, is, you know, it's also like we were we were by far their highest rated show, and it was just like new people came in. Ah, uh, regime change. And yeah, regime yeah. change. And then they were going to put, they put a lot of shit on, to be honest with you. They put a lot of crappy shows on, and... Um, wasn't again it wasn't that i was so upset about it because i was kind of grinded out anyway but then mark called and said they want to do the movie which i didn't want to do um and 
it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. Again, I'm happy with the movie. I yeah. thought it came out great. We made it for a budget. But um, the Me Too movement was hitting us right in the face because... Yeah, it really was. That was like right at the beginning of that. You know, and I've seen, I've seen, you know, we talked about this on the podcast. I've seen the movie in 40 different movie theaters with full crowds in them. And Kevin Dillon's first line of the movie, I've seen get hysterical laughs every single time. Every review was like, as if it was, you know, oh my God, what did he just say? Yeah. I can't believe it, you know? So, um, but it is what it is and, and, and you move on. But it should have been season nine rather than that. Yeah. And also it's just, look, amazing luck and timing came in to make that show work and make things happen. And bad timing came in to make the movie not work. So you kind of look at, at both and, and, and just take them what they are. But if it was 2020, if they put the movie on, and I'm not saying talking about a new one, I'm saying if right now HBO Max was around, Netflix around, whatever, and they said, let's just go make a movie for 20 million bucks and throw it on HBO Max, it would have been a huge success. Absolutely. And, and I never thought it should have been in a theater. You know, the difference, and I'm a, I love Sex and the City. So I'm not even talking about that, but just as a base, Sex and the City was a romantic comedy, yeah. which immediately has a bigger audience than a show about four guys in Hollywood. Totally. It also had it also had a movie star. Sarah Jessica Parker was a movie star. So, yeah. um, and again, I'm not even trying to like people can debate what they want whether the movie sucked. Or, I mean, Entourage movie sucked. Or Sex and the City movie was great, but. It was, to me, it was a TV show. We shot it like a film. We made it look great, but it should have stayed on TV. Well, you know, I, I, I recommend everyone that's listening because it's, I blew through every episode during the Christmas week of Victory, the podcast. You have an outstanding speaking voice. I can't say it Thank enough. You. Everyone Thank must you. listen. But now, man, you know, we, you know I, I even sent this to you in that message how much you've been inspiring me through that podcast, but it's, it, it's no secret. It's been a really dark time for the world. And I honestly don't think there's anything the world needs more than this show right now. You know, do you think, you know, there's any chance now that you're seeing the podcast take off that you would give a, a, another season a go? I mean, it's certainly 10 weeks ago. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm excited or interested to do it, but if it all came together, be hard for me to say no because I love these guys. But ten weeks ago, I would have said there's no shot. But what I've seen with the trajectory of the podcast has been pretty—it's been mind-boggling. We have done no advertising; it's simply our our Instagrams promoting, yeah. um, and it's really uh, it's really taking off. So I love how you went from from not having the manscape to having the manscaped ad to drinking Coors Light and then having the Coors Light ad. It's, it's awesome, man. You know, so, yeah, so I don't, the, the ads, I don't even know. Connolly handles all the business stuff. I wish there were no ads. I'm not into the ads at all. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, we got some good companies. We try to make them funny, but I'm just shocked at, at the way this has gone around. And, and I'm talking like in countries I didn't even know the show existed in and Italy and, Slovakia. I see. I saw a review from someone from Iraq. You know what I mean? Like, really? oh, yes. oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. you know, but I mean, you know, we've um, we're hitting the charts like in in all over the world. It's really shocking. And um, are you enjoying it? You seem like you're genuinely having a blast. I, I love it. I yeah. mean, you know, I'm about to start a new TV yeah. show. Can we talk I'm about making, this? this? Yeah, we can talk project. about that. But I wake up. I wake up in the middle of the night and, and like 
cold sweats thinking about that. The podcast is just like, I can't wait to get in there. It's just fun. fun. You know what I mean? So uh, the show, though, which I'm excited about, but, you know, the difference is, is when I write, again, whether it's good or bad, I'm a perfectionist and I obsess over every syllable. And when I start getting into that grind, it becomes 24-7. And you're a big sports enthusiast. So, you know, you know, for Americans, we call it soccer. The world calls it football. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know that world really well? I, I know that world and Thierry Henry, who I'm doing it with, and his manager Darren Dean. Um, they've been asking me to write entourage in international football for about seven years. Wow! And I've watched a number of people do entourage ripoffs. In my opinion, while I kind of like Californication re- or something like no, that. I no, I wouldn't yeah. say Californication, but there are there are other ones. Yeah. I mean, you know, they know what they are. But yeah, but um, I really was just like, you know what? I don't know if I want to run another show again. Obviously I want to make the money. I want to have all the perks that come with it, but yeah, it's, it's a whole other thing, but you know what? During the pandemic, this has been, uh, I think all of us have taken a lot of time to reflect and, and really, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 53 years old now, which is nuts. Happy birthday. Yeah. I don't know how this is happening, but, but it's like, um, you know, you start to think of like, you know what? Maybe I can do another one where I actually I make it a, a, a pleasurable experience and and I I do my best to not turn it into life and death because it isn't obviously yeah so uh, they told me to write this and when the pandemic started I'm just sitting here doing nothing I'm like you know what fuck it I'll just write the script so I wrote the script and uh, Darren uh, who's producing it and manages Thierry uh, gave it to Matthew Vaughn who's uh, an oh, Matthew Vaughn's one of the best directors working. Yep. So yeah. Matthew, Matthew loved it, wants to direct the pilot and, and finance it. So it's all kind of gotten into this great place. And I'm very, I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, there's still that anxiety, which I think is good for any writer, actor yeah. to, to have those feelings because it will push you to, to work your best, you know? Yeah. It keeps you on your toes. Or do you have to move to England for production? If it's if all goes well, I mean, you know, four or five months a year in London would be ideal. Yeah, it's a great town. Well, Doug, final, I'm so grateful, man. It means so much. Final few questions for you. Um, I have to ask because it's obviously a big part of Entourage. Favorite New York food spots? Oh, I should have thought about this, but let's see. Um, Emilio's Blotto on Houston Street. Is that the small boutique Italian spot? Yeah. Amazing. I love that place. Yeah. Sables, Upper East Side, lobster salad is the best thing on earth. Um, Sedell's, I don't want to forget anywhere. I get great bagels at the Bagel Boss, Long Island. Okay. Uh, jo- uh, um, Joe's Pizza on Joe's uh, the best. Laker. It's a great slice, although I do love, I mean, there's so many great places. It's like New York, but what if I'm there for two days, I'm getting to Bellotto, I'm getting to... Um, Sables for some lobster salad, and I'm getting a slice of Joe's. I actually walk from Bellotto's and eat like an. Ins- I eat a lot for a skinny guy. I'll eat an entire meal of Bellotto's, and then I walk over to Joe's and get a slice, which is just oh, kind the of best. overkill, but it's just great. So yeah, that's awesome, man. And then for all the young dogs out there that are maybe in law school, feeling unfulfilled, and and want to take a shot at this business and whatever iteration, acting, directing, writing. Any any words of wisdom? My words of wisdom are 
if you made it to law school, there might be a reason that you're not in this business. And I'm not saying people like John Grisham and others, there's been some great people who've gone from switching careers, but I think, and I've been pretty successful. This is a tough, tough business with a lot of ups and downs for almost everybody. And, uh, if it's not something you absolutely love or there's not, or there's something else you can do that would make you relatively happy, I suggest you do that. But if you do love this, it's got to be consuming. It's got to be a grind and it's got to be 24-7, you know? I mean, I see a lot of people in this business since I started 30 years ago that had a lot of talent. Yeah. That just didn't have the work ethic, didn't have the, you know, didn't have the grind. and The and wherewithal to stand, you know, the, the monstrosity of the... It's a it's yeah. a behemoth of a beast, you know. And, I, and by the way, and by the way, that being said, I mean, even with that, you need luck. And yeah. it's not that, you know, I just use Kevin Dillon to play Johnny Drama as an example. He had a great career. Yeah. But Entourage took him to a whole other level. And that For was at sure. that was at 38 years old after he'd made 30 movies. And people were like, Who is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. And when he came into audition for us. We said, I can't believe we're so lucky that this guy is so good and nobody's like, yeah, you know, nobody's not using him. And it's like, could Kevin, I always say this, could Kevin Dillon have gotten Joey on Friends? I believe so. Totally. And it's just like getting in the right spot at the right time. And, you know, and, and sometimes things can happen, but you really need all three and you got to be going like, you know what? I may not make money. I may have years. I've had years where I made zero dollars where I was legitimately like, I'm going to have to sell my house, my car, everything. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a grind, but obviously the rewards, if if good things happen are amazing. So, and what's, what's less, you know, question, what's been keeping you inspired during these troubling times? (sighs) Like shows or what? You know, anything, you know, children, shows, you know what? I sound like a fucking. It sounds like I sound crazy. I can't even say it out loud, and everyone thinks I'm fucking nuts. Taylor Swift has me fucking motivated. No way! Nice. I mean, <laughs> aside from the fact that, like, I really do love her and think she's fucking brilliant, but she goes and makes this album, two albums, while she's sitting in her house, basically by herself. I understand she's got connections with great musicians and stuff, but it did inspire me to go. You know, like while I'm sitting here kind of locked up. And again, I'm not making any sad stories here. There are people who have it so bad and I I get that. But mental health during this thing has been challenging for a a lot of people. Yeah. And including myself. And when you just can't get your basic things that you need in life, whatever it is, your, your fucking ability to go play sports with your friends to obviously going to do your job, which um, for a lot of people, in Hollywood, my girlfriend is an actor. I mean, she, she can't work. It's like, she can't work as, as, you know, it's just not possible. So I think though, I looked at some of the people that I saw going out and doing things, some, some people on Instagram doing art and coming up with films while they were locked in their houses. And it did inspire me. It's why I wrote the script for this day one show. It's why I started the podcast with Dylan. And, uh, you know, it is, you sort of can lose your way in this business and start to forget, you know, you feel like, Oh, I want someone to pay me when I write. But the truth is if you're an artist, you got to do it every day, whether anyone gives a shit or not. And you got to go out and you got to wake up and go, I'm going to create something today. And, and the truth is for me, like exercise or anything else, when I do go work and I actually put my brain and time into it, 
it makes everything in my life feel better. You know, yeah. even if it doesn't get the result that you want, which it often doesn't. I mean, like I said, you know, I made Fat Beach. Yeah, it's a fucking piece of shit, but I busted my ass on it. And then, yeah. you know, I wake, I wake up and the New York Times says this movie is unreleasable. That's embarrassing. And that's, yeah. you know, your friends, your family all see it. But at the same time, you go, I went out, I put myself out there. I did this yeah. effort. And, you know, it, it, it is what it is. The cards will fall, you know? Yeah, it's so beautiful. Doug Ellen, man, you you really are an artist through and through, and I have so much gratitude, and it means so much to me. You taking the time to come on here and share your story and give back, and I'd love to one day audition for you. I don't care if it's Pizza Boy number two or Soccer Fan Hooligan three. Done, uh, done. That's yeah. easy. That's yeah. Easy. So I, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, I got so much love for you, brother. Victory. All right. All right. Talk to you. All right. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.